Hello, hope you're doing well today. Uh, my name's Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at, at Norton. Uh, I want to wrap up this the series that we've been in over the last few weeks of uh, calm in an anxious world. I think we can all all use that. I I was thinking about this past year <clears throat> and what many of us have have been going through, and I don't know if you remember, but we started this year January second. I looked it up looking at Psalm 63 and how to be at peace in the wilderness. Um, I know when I, I preached that Sunday, little did I know that about three weeks later, uh, our lives would blow up, our family would find itself in, in a wilderness of sorts. Uh, we had no idea what kind of year we were entering. But you know, let's just say it's, it's been challenging. And I know many of you have had a challenging year and you're going through a lot of things right now. But it's in the midst of, of difficulties and pain and anxiety and stress, hurricanes and, and high interest rates that, that Paul has the audacity to say, oh, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. Uh, and, <clears throat> but as we've seen over the last few weeks, Paul doesn't leave us there. Uh, he goes on in Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Here, Dan, uh, Pastor Dan encouraged us to celebrate the God who is present. You know, whether the, the sun is shining, the, the guardians won the division, falls in the air, there's fresh bread in the oven, or <laughs> whether we're disappointed, frustrated, and, and struggling in a wilderness of wise, our greatest need is God. And one of the greatest things, one of the best things we can do is to worship. Well, Paul continues in verse 6, and he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The second thing is, ask God for help. Be real, consistent. Place your confidence in the God who is worthy of our worship. Cast your cares on him. You know, part of that verse is when we pray, we're to pray with thanksgiving. And that was our third week of, of live with gratitude. In other words, count your blessings, lean into to God's promises. And then finally, to complete Paul's thoughts as they're driven by the Holy Spirit. And, and to complete our acronym, we, we come to verse 8. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, meditate on good things. So before we, we start and we dive into this a little bit more, I just want to pray with you to, to get us started. So let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you for your goodness and, and grace that allows us to, to come together. Uh, Lord, whether it's in person or, or online, Lord, thank you that we can spend this time together. Lord, just open our eyes and our hearts to your truth. Uh, help us to focus on Jesus, the, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, uh, give us an undivided heart that we can worship you as you really are. Lord, we, we come today in, in our need and we pray that, 
that we might find rest in your presence and comfort in your promises. Lord, we thank you for who you are and Lord, how you've allowed us into a relationship with you. We love you too, in Jesus' name, amen. So as a, as <clears throat> so the last part of this message encourages us to meditate on good things. I love this passage in Philippians. Uh, have prayed these words often when feeling overwhelmed or anxious or, or just maybe needing to get my mind right. I mean, have you ever had one of those days you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop? I was thinking about that this week. I was like, well, where did that, where did that come from? Um, anyone else wonder where that, that term came from, waiting for the, shoe, the other shoe to drop? It's interesting, uh, the housing projects in, in New York City in the late 19th, early 20th centuries, uh, apartments were built on top of each other with, and their bedrooms uh, were on top of each other. And so it was common that you would hear your upstairs neighbor take off a shoe and drop it. And then they would take off the other shoe and drop it. And so waiting for the other shoe to drop became shorthand for waiting for something you know you anticipate is coming. And I think about this as like waiting for the other shoe to drop is often a source of our anxiety. So you're just waiting for something else to go wrong. You're waiting for another phone call. You're waiting for another knock on the door or, or some complication to come up. I mean, I, I remember one of these times at, at another church where I was a, a solo pastor. I, I had three funerals in two days the week before Easter. Um, and it just seemed like the shoes kept dropping. <laughs> I was so worn out, I, I ended up in the hospital for, for a week because my body couldn't, in, couldn't fight the infection from a carpet burn I got from wrestling with my boys. But I remember going to this passage and during that time and, and finding peace. I remember writing Philippians 4, 8, and 9 on note cards. And when I started to feel anxious, um, I would pray that the, the Lord would transform my mind to think about things that were true and right and noble and pure and lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. It didn't take care of the issues, but what it did is it helped my heart stay focused on the Lord and the people who needed me. And the reason this is so helpful is that the mind or what the Bible often refers to as the heart is, is the center of who we are. In fact, I've heard it said this way, you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. Uh, when I was in school, uh, as a teacher would start their lesson, oftentimes they would say, okay, now everyone put your thinking caps on. Uh, anybody else remember that? Um, when the teacher said that, it meant, hey, pay attention. I need your un undivided attention. I, I want you to really process what I'm talking to you about. And I think about, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was an actual thinking cap we could put on? I mean, you have a problem you can't solve, you lose your way, you get lost, or maybe you need a little wisdom. Hey, just grab your thinking cap. But it doesn't work that way, does it? Um, but if what we think we are, it's pretty important that we learn to think in the right ways. Abraham Lincoln said, most people are as happy as they make up their minds to be. Well, what was he saying? He's saying happiness, joy is a choice. It's an intentional attitude. 
One, re one researcher concluded from a study, he said, quote, unhappiness is a default condition because it takes less effort to be unhappy than to be happy. If you're looking for something to complain about, you are absolutely certain to find it. It requires some effort to achieve a happy outlook on life, and most people don't make it. Most people take the path of least resistance. And so we live in a, a grumpy, cantankerous world. Why? Because it's a lot easier to be grumpy and cantankerous. <laughs> but God has called us to something else. He's, he's called us to live intentionally, and it, it starts with how we think. It starts with our heart. I mean, I, I think we're all familiar with the adage, if you fill a glass half full of water, is the glass half full or half empty? Well, some would say if your outlook is positive, you'd say, well, the glass is half full. If you're a pessimist, you'd say, well, it's half empty. If you're an engineer, you might say the glass is simply twice as large as it needs to be. Um, but a thankful person is just glad to have a glass and, and some clean drinking water. You see, it all depends on how you think about things. You can be negative or you can be positive. You can be critical or you can be thankful. The, the truth is, you pick what you ponder. You pick what you ponder. Max Lucado says this, you don't, you don't decide your birthplace or birth date. You didn't choose your parents or siblings. You don't determine the weather or the number of leaves on a tree. There's a lot of things over which you have absolutely no choice. But you can be the air traffic controller of your mental airport. You occupy, you occupy the, the control tower and direct the mental traffic. Thoughts circle above, coming and going. If one of them lands, you gave it permission. If it leaves, it's because you directed it to do so. You can pick what you ponder. Proverbs 4.23 says something similar, encourages us, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You know, looking at one aspect of this, you, you reap what you sow. What you ponder is what you plant. And so you can sow seeds of joy by taking the time to, to, to start a gratitude journal, memorize a verse, pray, sing, worship, spend time with encouraging people. But if you want to be miserable, then, then just wallow in this mental muck of self-pity, worry, and anxiety. Assume the worst, beat yourself up, rehearse your regrets, complain to complainers. You see, you pick what you ponder, and what you ponder, you plant. And so your good thoughts bear good fruit, your bad thoughts bear bad fruit. And you can't blame anyone else because you're the gardener. You're the one doing the planting. If you want a, a life that's less anxious, it starts with your mind and heart. What you think, what you ponder. It's interesting, a, a few years back, uh, 15 college professors were given a challenge and the challenge was simply this. If you could take all the books written about motiv motivating people into action, if you condensed it, if they were to condense it into one brief summary, what, what would it say? Well, they took the challenge. They, they considered, they studied, they talked about all the different theories on motivating people, and they came up with a sum summary, which I, I think is actually pretty profound. It says, what the mind attends to, it considers. What the mind does not attend to, it dismisses. 
what the mind attends to continually, it believes, and what the mind believes, it eventually does. And think about that. In other words, if you can get a person to think long enough about something to the point where they begin to believe in that something, they will become motivated to do that something. In other words, whatever fills your heart will lead your life. Our thoughts produce actions. What I think about impacts every part of me. And see, understanding all of this helps us as we look at Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Or Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, he's, he's wrapping up the letter. He's wrapping up this section. He's, he's tying up some loose ends, and he's concluding with a few extra thoughts. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, there's a definite structure to these two verses in that they go together and it basically says something like this, think, then do. (laughs) In other words, our thoughts produce actions. What we think drives what we do. Uh, I believe this is Paul's encouragement to us that we need to think carefully, we need to think intentionally, we need to think actively. Now, when Jennifer and I first moved into our house that we're living in now, it it was winter. But that first spring, things started to warm up and and Jennifer's aunt and uncle, they they came over and they, they volunteered to watch the boys who were really pretty little at that time. Uh, we had a great date, and we came back, and we're talking to our aunt and uncle, and um, I don't know, it seemed a little warm in the house. I was like, well, I'm going to turn the, the ceiling fan on, and I, I turned the ceiling, on, f- ceiling fan on for the first time since the weather had turned warm, and what happened next haunts us to this day. Uh, the vibration of the fan disturbed a nest of large carpenter ants that had apparently been nesting all winter in our attic above our dining room. All of a sudden, we had this ant apocalypse. (laughs) I mean, large black carpenter ants with wings, with wings, started to, to crawl out of the woodwork, started to crawl out of the fan, started flying all around the house. It was about two hours of squashing, smashing, screaming, spraying, flying ants. Our house was infested. Uh, we, we got an exterminator the next day, but it was absolutely disgusting. And so, as a result, ants are a big deal at our house because of this. But here's the thing. Each one of us also has a different kind of ant infection, infestation in our minds. Psychologists call them automatic negative thoughts automatic negative thoughts. And we have them every day. They infest and corrupt our minds with all kinds of what Bob says is stinking thinking. Well, what Paul is, is writing here in verse eight is he's saying, recognize the automatic negative thoughts, those lies that you tell yourself every day and exterminate the ants. Some of the most common ants come in the form of using words like always, never, no one, everyone, every time. Um, Ants come in the form of 
seeing the negative in everything, predicting things that, that I can't control. Well, it's probably going to rain tomorrow. Thinking uh, that I know what someone else is thinking, usually about me. Allowing my feelings to control my thoughts. Ants come in the form of, of beating myself up with guilt and regret. Uh, these ants come in the form of saying, well, should, must, ought to, have to. Ants come in the form of labeling, uh, calling yourself or others uh, by negative names. Uh, making yourself accountable for something you had nothing to do with. All of these are ants. And if you, you think these kinds of thoughts often enough, these ants start to build a nest in your head. And you actually begin to build neurological pathways that keep you going down the same path. It becomes a habit. And so when you notice an ant, recognize, recognize it for what it is. Write it down, evaluate it, talk back to it, eliminate it. When you're hearing yourself say, a, a, say an ant, Stop and correct it. I mean, kill the ants in your thoughts. Get rid of the ants and replace them with thoughts that are true and right and noble. In other words, thoughts that point you back to God. Because our default is to let these ants consume our thoughts. One writer says it like this, For me, struggling to live with joy is a life thing. When left to myself, the trenches of my mind have always flowed toward gloomier pools of thought. The fight for joy is uphill and hard fought. You know, it's, it's so easy to have a thought. And the next thing you know, you're going to that dark place in your head. And just like the quote that I read, our minds naturally tilt in that direction. You know, it's, it's a rainy day becomes, ah, I'm miserable. And then I'm miserable becomes, my life stinks. And then my life stinks becomes, I give up. All from a few clouds and raindrops you can't control anyhow. Because of this tendency, we have to learn to think carefully. Paul says it this way, think about such things. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You see, our minds can go in a million different directions, typically toward those gloomier poles of thought. Therefore, we have to be careful about our thoughts. The word think here means to ponder or to meditate. It comes from the, the original, uh, comes from the Greek word logizomai. Uh, logizomai is where we get our word for logic. Um, that's, that's what it means to think logically, to, to concentrate logically, to objectively think about something. And the idea is to think logically so that our, that our actions are based on careful, thought-out truth. See, what you think about what you think about you, what you think about God, what you think about the world around you, all the things that you think about in the end can define who you are. You're the sum of your thoughts. People's lives are the product of their thoughts. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is within, 
out of a person's heart, out of his mind, his thoughts, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now, that's the negative side of thinking, but the reverse is also true, and that's what Paul is getting at here. We do what we think, so think carefully. Paul was able to release himself from anxiety and, and to live with contentment because his thoughts were centered on his relationship with Christ. Yeah, he was real about his circumstances. He was genuine. He talked about his hardships. He talked about his suffering. But he put it all in the context of his relationship with Jesus. And it kind of reminds me of Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. In, in chapter 3, <clears throat> Jeremiah starts by saying, I am, I am the man who has seen affliction. I mean, what a way to start. And from here, he shares his suffering and pain. And, and then he tells us in verses 17 through 20, he says, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. My soul is downcast within me. I mean, it sounds like a guy who's in a dark place mentally and spiritually. Now, <clears throat> he could have stayed right there. He could have stayed in the reality of his circumstances. However, he doesn't stop thinking. He thinks carefully. He doesn't let this, this plane of despair land in the airport of his mind. He doesn't feed the ants. Jeremiah continues after 20 verses of pouring out details of suffering and affliction. He makes this declaration and he says, yet this I call to mind. All these things are happening. These are the ways that I feel. Yet this is, <clears throat> but yet this I call to mind. This is what I think about. And therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, my, my life is miserable. My circumstances stink right now. I'm not at all happy with where I am and my position in life, what I'm experiencing, but this I call to mind. God is faithful. He's my strength. He's full of compassion and love every day, new every morning, every moment. I trust him. I put my hope in him. And because my mind is drawn to intentionally think about him and his goodness, I can rejoice in that certainty. What did he do? He put his thinking cap on. <laughs> he picked what he pondered. He thought carefully. You see, Philippians 4, 8 is Paul's way of saying, yet this I call to mind. In other words, be intentional about what you think about. We pick what we ponder. We can, we can choose to worry or we can choose to worship. We can grumble or we can be grateful. We can be, see obstacles or we can see opportunities. We can focus on, on our inability or God's great sufficiency. We think carefully and we think intentionally. You see, the battle taking place in our minds is an everyday battle. 
So Paul tells us how to think carefully, and then he tells us what to think about. Your thoughts matter. Negative thinking leads to negative living. It's so easy to fall into one of these traps, and that's exactly what it is, a trap. Because once you start thinking this way, it can be hard to get away from it. And so resist the urge to exaggerate or overstate or amplify. Focus on the facts. Focus on what you know to be true. Think intentionally about the right things. Think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. And if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul's saying, if you look at the whole possibility of all the different thoughts you might have, find the ones that fit these categories. All these categories are found in God's word. And see, if you look at, at Psalm 19, it, it sounds a lot like Paul's list of virtues here. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, are admirable, excellent, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm. All of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. Sounds a lot like the things we're to logically think about. But I want to, one, I want to go one step further. It sounds a lot like Jesus. At the end of the day, when you need some truth and perspective to get your mind reoriented to things that are excellent and praiseworthy, go to God's truth. Think about Jesus. Let him be your focus. Let him give perspective. Let him remind you of what's true. I like how one pastor from years ago, F.B. Meyer, says this. Just now we said, let those virtues stand at the gateway and test all our thoughts. But it's better to say, let Jesus stand at the gateway and test them because he not only tests them, but rolls back the tide of every thought. It is mere stoicism to say, watch your thought. It is Christian philosophy to say, let Christ keep your thoughts, testing them, hurling back the evil, filling the soul with his glorious presence. This is the secret of the indwelling presence of the God of peace. You see, when you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed or fearful, think on these things. Think on Jesus. We're to be intentional about our thoughts. Determine what thoughts you allow to land on the runway of your mind. Don't let the ants take over. Throughout, throughout our day, things will come across our paths. They'll, they'll come into our minds. We can't avoid them. But there's a difference between recognizing their existence and allowing our minds to, to feast off of them. Paul tells us to watch what we're feeding, it, feeding on. You know, if you're watching horror movies and paranormal TV and reading occult novels, is it any wonder your mind is anxious, fearful, and maybe your thoughts are a little dark? And if you're listening all day to talk radio and all they do is yell at each other and talk gloom and doom, is it any wonder you're angry? Henry Nouwen describes our minds as a banana tree filled with monkeys. 
monkeys that are, are constantly screeching at us and, and jumping up and down. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like your mind was just full of a bunch of screeching monkeys? They're hollering at you, trying to get your attention. How can you make this happen? How will I handle that problem? Now, I'm not advocating violence against monkeys. Monkeys are fine. <laughs> but when your head is, is, is a tree full of screaming monkeys, there's only one thing to do. You start shooting the monkeys. <laughs> I mean, think about what are the thoughts and lies, the fears and worries that are keeping you distracted and anxious. Recognize them for what they are. Get rid of them. Replace them. You see, we're to fill our grocery carts with things that are good for us, not just fried Twinkies and circus peanuts. You know, if you find your thoughts drifting to things that are contrary to this list that Paul gives us, in impure, dishonorable, unworthy of praise, then maybe we need to be more intentional, become passionate about replacing these thoughts with things that are worthwhile and praiseworthy. And that starts with spending time in God's word, being consistent, spending time with Jesus. And so we determine the source of the monkeys and the ants and the circus peanuts, and we, we resolve to live like the psalmist who wrote, a wise man is hungry for knowledge while the fool feeds on trash. I, I, read, a, I read this story of a, a major marketing expert he ran an experiment to find out how many ads he was exposed to during a typical day. And so he, des he decided to spot as many ads possible and, and count them in a 24-hour period. Well, long story short, he counted 487 advertisements before finishing breakfast. <laughs> he was so shocked, he, he quit counting. You, know, you wonder why we're so content and anxious. I mean, that's part of an advertiser's job to make us feel like we, we need more, we need better, we need newer. That's why we have to filter what we think and intentionally replace it with God's truth. And yet a recent study that just came out last week found that Americans are less likely than ever before to say that the Bible is influencing the way that they live out their faith in relationship to others. There's been a 10% drop in Bible usage from 2021 to 2022, which means nearly 26 million Americans reduced or stopped their interaction with Scripture in the past year. It's sobering. What are you filling your mind with? You aren't what you think you are, but what you think you are. Think carefully. Think intentionally. Finally, think actively. Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. You see, right living results from right thinking. Paul writes this as a command because he knows that we can never separate the thought life from the outward life. The inward life, the inward thoughts from the outward action, what we ponder is what we're going to practice. What we think is what we're going to do. What we learn is how we're going to live. And so we have to start living out what we know to be true. Um, it's a picture of uh, Mona Lisa. A number of years ago, um, the half smile of the famous Mona Lisa was, was interpreted by Dutch researchers. Uh, their conclusion, she was smiling because she was 83% happy. 
And using the emotion recognition software, it revealed Mona Lisa was 83% happy, 9% disgusted, 6% fearful, and 2% angry. <laughs> now, she was less than 1% neutral and not at all surprised. All, all of that from a portrait. All of that from a picture. But the question for us today is, what portrait are, are people seeing of your life today? What kind of attitudes and actions are people seeing in your life as a result of your thoughts? You see, the, the result of careful, intentional thinking directed by God's truth is, and the God of peace will be with you. It kind of, Paul brings it full circle back to verse 7 when he wrote, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, when we cooperate and keep our hearts focused on the God of peace, we can have peace. Choose the good, enjoy the beautiful, pursue the noble, walk in the joy of God's peace. We are what we think, so we need to think carefully, think intentionally, think actively. But I don't want to just leave you there. How do, how do we do this? Just uh, three quick things here. One, evaluate the content. We're, we're to constantly evaluate what we're allowing into our thoughts. I know we sometimes frustrated our kids and we sat down to watch a movie as a family because we'd sometimes, you know, after a certain scene, we'd, we'd sometimes stop it and ask, what, what do you think of that? Was that right? What do you think they should have done? You see, we wanted to teach them not to just passively accept whatever they were, they were seeing or hearing. We wanted them to learn to be active thinkers. So evaluate your thoughts. Just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's a true thought. In fact, you'll save a lot of strife in your marriage if you can, if you can pause long enough to ask yourself, why am I so angry at him or her right now? Because sometimes it's you. you you've got ants in your pants. Uh, you had a bad day. You're hangry. You're tired. You were frustrated at work and you brought it home. You see, we need to remember our minds are broken by sin, which means we can't always trust what we think. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You see, we have this amazing ability to, to deceive ourselves. We tell ourselves that things aren't as bad as they really are. We tell ourselves that things are better than they really are. We tell ourselves that, that we're doing okay when we're not, that we're telling ourselves it's no big deal when it is. In fact, the Bible tells us that we can't, can't be trusted to tell ourselves the truth. That's why biblical community and connecting in a group is so important. Not only do we need to evaluate our thoughts through the lens of God's truth, we need to be willing to, to listen and learn from others that we trust who are walking life with us. Something I learned this week from, from someone who studies the brain is that the optic nerve that goes directly to your brain actually sends more impulses from your brain forward than from your eye backward. Well, what does that mean? Well, this, I think this is pretty important. It means your brain is telling you what to see. If your thoughts aren't right and pure, you're not going to see clearly. 
And so we've already touched on this, so I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but the second thing is saturate your day with truth. You know, begin and end each day with truth. Begin your day with God's truth. Find a rhythm. And then rather, ending, rather than ending your day with, with Candy Crush or a commercial on TV, close your day with God's word, even as, even as just a proverb or a short psalm. But go to bed with those thoughts. Saturate your day with thoughts you know are true and right and noble and pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Let the Lord saturate your life with his love and presence because what fills your heart will lead your life. Finally, and this is part of the saturation process, meditate on God's promises. And see, meditation is engaging the mind. We need to engage it with truth. It means read, read God's truth, reread it, read it again. Read it out loud, write it down, ask questions, memorize it, think about it, ponder it. Allow the truth to saturate your heart. Uh, it reminds me of how I went through my mail during college. You know, I'd, I'd go to my mailbox and I'd just start sorting through my mail. Advertisement, 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 school bill, flyer bill. Oh, a letter from Jennifer. You know, the ads got tossed, the bill got tucked away for later, but man, that letter, I opened it, I read it, many times read it again. I kept it on my desk. I gave it more attention, I gave it my time. I invested myself in it. You see, we wage war against anxiety by securing our hearts and minds to Christ, spending time with him. Isaiah 26, three says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And see, when we meditate and engage in God's word, we create new pathways, our focus changes, and pretty soon there's a lot less ants. Well, there's so much more that we could talk about. The Bible has so much to say about our minds, our thoughts, our hearts. But I just want us to take a, a few moments to, to pray together. I want to guide us through a time of a prayer just to get our thoughts where they need to be. So if, if you, where you're at, if you can, just kind of close your hot eyes and get rid of distractions around you. Let's, let's pray, to God, pray together. Father, Thank you for, Lord, just the complexity of the mind and the way that you've created us. But Lord, I confess that sometimes uh, our minds are full of ants. And so, Lord, help us to identify those things that, that continue to nag us and bother us and, and move us in ways that we shouldn't be moved. Lord, they've been making our minds feel like a, a banana tree full of monkeys. Lord, I, help us to identify those ants. Just where you're at, just give them those fears, those anxieties, exaggerations, assumptions, and lies that, that you've been holding on to. And just ask him, Lord, expose these things so that I can deal with them. And Father, as we get rid of these things, identify and get rid of them, Lord, I pray that you would guide us in your truth. 
Lord, we don't want to just be formed by our feelings, our circumstances, or whatever happens at the moment. Lord, but we want to hold fast to what is true and right and noble and pure and lovely and admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. Lord, we want to hold fast to Jesus. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us an undivided heart that's focused on you. Let's go to him. Ask him to fill your heart and your mind with these good things. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that we can fill our minds with these things, which then impacts our actions. Lord, pray that we would be faithful to do so. But Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to know you. Lord, to know that you are near, to know that you care for us, to know that, that you are faithful and good, to know that you are holy, you are just, you are gracious and full of mercy. Just take time to thank him this morning for who he is. Thank him for the relationship that he allows us to have with him. Father, thank you for these truths. Lord, help us to guard our hearts. Lord, we love you too, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been great being with you today. Uh, next week, we start a new series, and I uh, hope you can join us for that. You take care. Have a great week.